One of the things that I want you guys to recognize is, and this is another kind of game changer. When we think about the New Testament, you could play with this all in the New Testament. I want you to hear this. In the Old Testament, every Jew would have understood son language, S-O-N, is Israel language. In many, many cases in the Old Testament, God says, Israel, my son. And so when we say, he will be disciplined. We don't mean a single person. And that's common knowledge in this uh, culture. So when David responds, he has an understanding of the corporate nature of what God is saying about this son, this descendant. Hello, thanks again for joining us on Study with Friends. We've been tracing the covenantal themes of land, descendants, and special relationship through the Old Testament. And our current series has us focusing on the former prophets beginning in 1 Samuel. If you've missed any part of this series or would like the homework to follow along, head to our website studywithfriends.org and search Old Testament. If you want to listen on the go, we're available on most streaming apps, and now you can check out the ladies on YouTube. Now, let's continue our study. How else do you want to compare the Deuteronomy 31 with uh, 1 Samuel 12? Do you want to just give me a summary how these passages integrate the covenant themes of land, descendants, and relationship with God? We already did relationship with God, so pull out for me descendants and land, please. I definitely wrote the most for relationship with God, and I said that God's constantly forgiving their unfaithfulness and he's remaining faithful despite their unfaithful behavior. And it's like, we're always talking about how God does that. Mm -hmm. You don't need to only go to the New Testament to find that, or you don't need to only go to the Old Testament to find that. But I guess um, when I looked at the connection between 1 Samuel 12 and 31, Deuteronomy 31, that's what I saw the most. For yeah, the it's definitely religion. so clear the relationship with God. Thanks for lifting that out. Any other um, notes? From my notes, I wrote, uh, and, and I'm not sure if I deliberately took it from here, so I, I want to say that I may have taken it from, from a buildup of other things that I read, but building us to the fact that they're, because of their turning from him, they're going to start losing the other two. Mm -hmm. So they're going to start losing land and they're going to start losing their descendants. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by losing their descendants? Uh, well, I know that they get captured um, and I know here in, in one of these, he promises um, no miscarriages and, mm -hmm. you know, abundant life. And that doesn't happen, you know, after they get taken into captivity. Yes. So good. So, yeah. And we see, I think, um, just, let's see, in a practical way, how would it affect your um, I keep saying children, but Bella doesn't have any kids yet. Uh, so how, how does it affect the people around you that you're in relationship with if you become derailed in your faith? I mean, I don't need to have kids to imagine exactly That's how why that I'm, would go. Yeah, tell me, <laughs> tell me how. Just because you see it with your own friends and, like, you see it with your own family and, like, I mean, you just see it with anyone that you're connected to. Like, it really doesn't even need to be your kids. That's right. But it would be, in the event that you do have kids, it would probably be the most impactful on them just because they, like, if you're a mom or a dad, like, your kid looks to you. And honestly, I can say it as a teacher, too, because Yes, kids that's what I'm going for. It do, you don't, remember we said earlier, your spiritual descendants yeah, well, being don't have to be fruit of your loins. They, you know, I mean, think about it this way. Teacher, you, you have a really great perspective on a teacher. If a teacher goes sideways, what happens in the classroom? I mean, it's like if I tell a kid that a 
quarter note actually gets the value of a 16th note, they're literally never going to pass any, any test ever. Yes. <laughs> and you know what else jumped out at me right now is in AA. You have, I, I'm not super familiar with AA, but I do think you have like a mentor mm -hmm. in AA. What if that person starts drinking again? Right. What about all the people that person is mentoring? This is These are practical ways that we yeah. can kind of make this more real. Um, did you have one that you wanted to add to that? Uh, yeah. I, I, one of the things that you talk, you've talked about the past couple of times we've been together is leadership. And, and so that's a huge thing for me um, because I've led a couple of studies and I lead a fitness class. And, and I know um, I'm pretty influential and not because I'm anything great, but because it's just the reality of being in a leadership position, which yep. I know actually being a teacher, we're all in that. And uh, people really tend to trust you and believe what you say. And when you say one thing and either you do another or you stop doing that one thing and fall from that and do another, it really, I think, impacts everyone around you. Like I know I look to the people that have led me and I think if they have fallen from that or whatever, um, it, it really impacts me. And then I start to look at my own faith and say, is this true? Yes. Is this, you know, or was this just something silly that I was holding on to and grasping at to make my life better at the time? Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's really important, um, to be aware of that it affects everyone around you yes. and then for good or for bad spirit, like this, this idea of descendants isn't about just, just children and that we really have to, yeah. of course, for those of us who have children, it's easily relatable there, but we have to expand it out. It's bigger than that. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, you know, always in the news, but certainly recently in the news, uh, president of a Christian university mm -hmm. sort of. Uh, fell from grace. The pastor of a very famous church fell from grace. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the reason I'm being vague about that is unfortunately, no matter when this airs, when you listen to it, that's probably going to be a truth mm -hmm. that's relatively recent. M certainly the media loves to tell us all about when a pastor mm -hmm. screws up. But I think it's because we hold these people to higher standards. They are called to be leaders. And they screw up because they take their eyes off of Jesus and his preeminence and somehow their own preeminence overshadows that. And, and that's exactly what God's warning about in these texts. So does that make it a little bit more real in the area of descendants? Yeah. And then um, in the area of land, I don't want to be too obvious, but we do, this is a trajectory that's taking them out of the promised land. So that's, it's an undercurrent that's sort of bubbling underneath the surface during all of these passages. So uh, I think we can leave that at that. Okay. So next I want to go into the Davidic covenant. And uh, I'm going to ask you ladies. So the Davidic covenant is found in second Samuel seven, one to 17. Uh, I would love to read that, but in the interest of time, I'm going to ask anybody listening or watching to read it on their own. That's what the pause button is for. And uh, then if you ladies would just take for me the next several questions that I ask in the homework and uh, let's unpack it together. So the first question is, how does this covenant differ from those we found in the Pentateuch? So Noahic, Abrahamic, and Mosaic covenants. One of the things I noted was it was a singular, singular descendant and it wasn't many descendants. Mm -hmm. And so I noted, he said, your descendant, and there was no S on there at the end and, you know, foreshadowing mm -hmm. to Christ. That's so, good. but I, that was the one, one of the things I noted. That's a good one. Anything? The continuation of the Abrahamic 
coming in. Maybe that's why it was written as singular, because if the Abrahamic covenant started as you'll have a zillion descendants, and then he pauses and then comes back with the Davidic covenant to say, like, out of which the one will show up, which we all know, well, not all, but which we eventually all will find that is Jesus. Because you mentioned earlier, and you'll see all over the scriptures, is that he's constantly referenced as the, the son of David or the mm-hmm. descendant of David. He's not the direct son of David, but he, by the whole line idea, he is. Mm-hmm. So, And the gospel writers went to special pains to make sure that they drew that line through the genealogy. And one of the gospel writers takes it through the father. And one of the gospel writers takes it through Mary. Joseph, I'm sorry, I don't mean to not name him. One of the gospel writers takes the descendancy through Joseph and one takes it through Mary. But we see that uh, Jesus is the descendant of David either way you slice it. Uh, So that's good. Uh, And of course, of course, you're right to think about the Davidic covenant in the ways that it sheds light on Christ. 100% right. And, and this is this is what we do in the church. We always are like, oh, this is about Christ, which it always is. I'm not diminishing that. It always is about Christ. The entire book of the Bible is all about Christ, mm-hmm. period, full stop. However, I'd like you also to see, because we're, we are marinating in the covenants in this series, uh, tell me a little bit about how it scoops up things from the covenants that came before. You could start with our threefold theme. If you wanted to, do you see it here again? God will be with them. God, I, have, I have a few, so I don't know. Please you, do jump in. Uh, yeah. Anyone jump in. God will eliminate our enemies. So there's our relationship with him. Mm-hmm. I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and be mm-hmm. disturbed no more. Mm-hmm. So that's land. Mm-hmm. And Bella mentioned descendants. So we know, um, one, of course, we know we now know that Christ is the most important descendant. But I also think what you want to read in this text, um, here in the text without imposing anything on it, and also then as we understand the rest of the Old Testament play out, what he's also saying here is that there will be no disruption of that descendancy, despite what's about to go down in Israel's disobedience. There will be no disruption of that descendancy. Does that make sense? Um, so I think that the line of descendants being um, clean, I guess is the right, I don't know, a, a word to choose. Okay. Uh, the other one, again, I know because the homework is so dense, we're, we're really digging in. But what's another really surface way that this covenant differs from the other three that we've been talking about? Just surface. I was wondering about the I will discipline him with the stripes of men when he sins. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. Okay. But it's not, it's not what I was looking for, but it's good. Okay. Um, do you want? Well, actually, let's do it now, and then I'll come back to my question. What do you think that's about? Well, I think when we read in the Deuteronomy passage that I read earlier, it sounded like God would forsake them and he would use their enemies and they would be captured. Mm-hmm. Um, so in so a nuance, it's somewhat there, similar. It's God men. doesn't forsake them, but no. he allows them to be disciplined in the same way that he disciplined the nations who didn't obey him. He now allows Israel to be disciplined with the 
um, the violence, the military defeats, the exile from the land where they lived, the capture, the oppression, the things that he brought Joshua and the gang into the promised land and did to the other nations. Now we see he's allowing that to happen to Israel because of her sin. And and let me clarify one thing. When we talk about descendants and we talk about descendant and we say he will be, uh, one of the things that I want you guys to recognize is, and this is another kind of game changer. When we think about the New Testament, you could play with this all in the New Testament. I want you to hear this. In the Old Testament, every Jew would have understood son language, S-O-N, is Israel language. In many, many cases in the Old Testament, God says, Israel, my son. And so when we say he will be disciplined, we don't mean a single person. This is the carrying through of Israel as the, the son language. This is my son um, and a lot of people actually apply that to this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. So there's a lot you can toy with if you want to do another deep dive. I'm giving you lots of places. You could take a whole nother year off. But Israel language is son language. So interchange and, and that's common knowledge in this uh, culture. So when David responds, which we're going to talk about in a moment, uh, he has an understanding of the corporate nature of what God is saying about these, this son, this descendant singular and actually David flips back and forth between singular and plural when he responds because he understands this isn't just about him this is about our corporate identity as a nation does that help deal with the his yeah. stripes and he will be disciplined yeah okay Although, obviously. I was thinking of Christ's yes, stripes, obviously, too. Like, obviously. Like, you know, you can't help mm-hmm. but think of, you know, by his wounds we were healed. Mm-hmm. You know, like all those verses that mm-hmm. you're just like. Which comes out of uh, Isaiah, which we'll yeah. deal with in the latter prophets. But yes, 100%. Also true. Yes, and is the mm-hmm. is the answer to that. Yes, and. Okay. One of the things that I was surface level trying to draw out is this covenant is just longer. Like the Noahic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant, they don't take up a ton of real estate. And this, this one really is longer and it, it's, it's got more detail in it. We get a, each successive covenant adds to the one before. And so the Noahic covenant was like, I'm not going to destroy him and, I'm, and you will have descendants. And, and, and there was a limit in the land. It was land descendants and special relationship. I will be your God. You will be my people. I won't destroy you again. You'll have descendants and you'll get to live in the land. I'm not going to like wash it out anymore. Noahic covenant. Uh, Abrahamic covenant, by the way, like two lines, right? The Abrahamic covenant we talk about and we think about all the time. It's very short. But it's a kind of a reiteration of Noahic, certainly a reiteration of the promise in the garden. So let's not truncate this. It's a formalization, formalization, yes, formalization of what God always wanted for his people. So Abrahamic covenant, not a lot of real estate as far as on the page. But the divot and the Mosaic covenant, harder to find. It's in Exodus 19 and 24. It's it's less pinpointed than the other covenants. But the Davidic covenant really drills in and God's really starting to unveil, which is so in his char- so on brand for God, so in his character that he takes his time unveiling his plan. And so the David, but the Davidic covenant is a real marker in that moment because he's saying, this is how this is really going to look. And there's a lot of detail and a lot of specifics, 
specificity in this covenant that we didn't really see in the previous covenants. The other covenants were broad, broad reaching, broad casting of a vision for where God was taking the nation of Israel. Now we hear the beginnings of something different. And we now can go back and say he was foreshadowing the true king, the true ruler in Christ. But David had a prophetic understanding of that. So I want to, okay, so we just covered basically all of that. So let's go forward. Unless you have more you want to add from the questions in the homework. I am going to make a mark of uh, McLean's quote I, I used in the homework. So McLean, I can't think of his first name. Uh, can, uh, there's a quote that I want to say. The Davidic covenant consisted of a reaffirmation of the regal terms of the original Abrahamic covenant with a further provision that these covenanted rights will now attach permanently to the historic house of David and succession of David. And also that by God's grace, these rights, even if historically interrupted for a season, will last in a future kingdom, be restored to the nation in perpetuity with no further possibility of interruption. And that part is key as we approach the latter prophets and see how interruption and division of the kingdom and all of it gets such a mess. Um, but I thought that it was really good. Yeah, big brain words, but it's a good summary of what is happening in the Davidic covenant. God is saying, this is your house and your succession, you David. And it's also saying, I promise to um, protect this thread until the time that I'm talking to you about right now. And, and how much the people in exile and beyond leaned on this promise of God to say, okay, but something greater is coming. Something greater is coming. Something greater is coming. That, that it was never a question of, has God forsaken us? It was a question of when, how long God, how long and, and waiting for this promise to be fulfilled, this much more specific promise. Does that make sense? The promises before were very casting a large descendants will happen and you will be nations and large in number. This is different. This is saying something is coming. Something very unique is coming out of the line of David. And, um, so I, I always say that the Davidic covenant, you can't read it without reading through David's response. As I mentioned it, which is prophetic in its, uh, response to God. He really understands what God is promising him. Um, so do you guys want to unpack that or tell me your thoughts on that part of the equation? David's response, which we find in, uh, let's see, I want to say like 18. So it's 18. Mm, sorry, I didn't write it in here. Is it like 26? Second Samuel seven. Let me find it. So it's, 18 to 29 is David's response. Um, and I also uh, here we don't do, we're not going to be doing much with the Psalms in this particular uh, series, but I wanted to lift out that the Psalms, uh, so many of them were written by David, are a reflection of his understanding of this promise. Did you recognize that before, or is that a fresh understanding for you in any way? 
I mean, Psalm 95, was it that you referenced in the homework? It's like it doesn't explicitly mention that David wrote it. And so there's like automatically that, that question. Mm-hmm. Um, but then perhaps it's like reading through it. Like, I guess if it's like if it said that David was the author of it, then like you'd be able to look closer and like try and identify what he, I guess, is saying that connects back to mm-hmm. the covenant. Mm-hmm. But I feel like. Especially because the Psalms are just so poetic and like symbolic and metaphorical and all that in the first place. It's like, is there any, like, where is the clear and obvious evidence that it's him? And then, like, what exactly is he saying that shows his clear understanding? I don't know. Like, it's not. Thank you for asking that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Psalms 93 to 99 are called the Royal Psalms. And so I'm going to come back to 95 in just a minute. But 93 through 99 are uh, psalms about God as the true king. 95, I'm glad you asked that question. Most of your Bibles uh, don't show David as the author in that um, passage. Sorry, I have a piece of hair on my mouth. It's bothering me. Thank you. Most Bibles, like some of them say of David. Right. And Psalm 95 doesn't explicitly say of David. But do you ever hear the expression um, scripture teaches scripture? So um, Hebrews 4, 7 refers to uh, is quoting Psalm 95 and Hebrews 4, 7 says David said. And so we take the. Yes, we take the authority of Hebrews 4, 7 and apply it to our authorship of 95. The reason that your Bibles don't say of David is not because we don't trust the authority of uh, Hebrews 4, 7, but rather because your Bibles rightly want to only ascribe the Psalms in the way they were originally ascribed in the scrolls. So in the scrolls, in the original writing, sometimes um, it's attributed right there. Sometimes it's not attributed at all. Sometimes it says the choir master, and that's because they got that out of the original Psalm text. We can take Hebrews 4, 7, and now understand that 95 was actually written by David. So that's a great question. Thanks for asking it. Is that satisfy that question? Okay. And so look it up if you uh, want to look at Hebrews 4, 7 for the um, authorship of Psalm 95. But more than that, uh, Psalms 93 to 99 are called the royal Psalms, and they, uh, they are uh, worship of God as the true king of Israel. And so 95 then hits beautifully in that as David wrote it, if we believe that David wrote it, which I believe he did because of not, I just didn't pull that out of the air. Uh, Psalm 4, 7, uh, Hebrews 4, 7 tells me that. So if David wrote 95 and it's a royal psalm uh, uh, attributing all kingship to God, then it is, a, it is a beautiful way to see the extension of David's understanding of the Davidic co- covenant. Does that help to pull it together? Okay, thanks for asking that question. I'm always so thankful for how timeless and timely God's Word is. Thanks again for joining us on this multi-series journey studying God's covenantal promises throughout the Old Testament. We are a weekly Bible study, just like you'll find at your local church. If you are in a study like this one, we encourage you to join one. Make sure that the church is teaching from the Bible in every situation. In Matthew 10, Jesus sent out his disciples to preach the gospel, instructing them, Freely you have received, freely give. 
We take that command serious here at Study With Friends. So we have created tons of resources on our website that are all free for you to use. They're at studywithfriends.org. Much like the disciples who relied on the generosity of a host, we are 100% donor supported. If you have been particularly blessed by our ministry, would you consider making a donation? Monthly partners are especially helpful to us and no amount is too small. If you are willing to give it, we would be grateful and blessed to have it. You can donate on our website one time or become a monthly partner. That's at studywithfriends.org forward slash donate. We would love to connect with you and hear how your walk is going. We also love to get prayer requests from you. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or if you prefer, you can email us at info at studywithfriends.org. Remember, you can stream us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Plus, you can now see our studies on YouTube. No matter which way you choose, we hope that you will connect with us. For now, we hope you'll join us next time when we study with friends. Mm -hmm.